Yeah. You have a spare. Okay, this year is Eliluy Nishmat David Ben Gabriel Upesha Zichonal Lebracha Zichonal Lebracha in memory of uh, Daniel Leitman, one of the first people I met uh, when Buria was started. His daughter Beth, Beth Leitman was a student of, of ours. She eventually married Mark Epstein. Anybody who's ever been in Boston knows the Milk Street Cafe. Yes? Yeah, so Mark, and Beth run it today. Marcus, you know, was the one who founded it. Uh-huh. Founded the Milk Street Cafe. All right, so if you're in Boston and you want a good meal, that's where you go. <coughs> okay, I'd like to, the Pasha, the Pasha of Truma. What? We want to know if his name is Leitman, if that's why they went to the Milk Street oh. Cafe. But French were, you know, milk. You know. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I think it's on Milk Street, but, uh, you know. Uh, you know. There are a variety of profits that you get from sitting around the table. Yeah. The evening was not wasted. So, the parish of Truma is the parish of Kelim. It's the vessels that were built to be put into the Mishkan. And it represents, doesn't represent, it is in fact the first thing that Moshe Rabbeinu taught B'nai Yisrael that was from the Torah. And of course, we have to, and, and, and eventually, Truma, next week's parashas, Titzaveh. Titzaveh is about the building. So between the Kalim and the building, you've delineated for the first time in history, actually delineated a makom. A place in which uh, something could go on. I mean, what will go on will be described in the Torah, mostly in the in the in the book of Vayikra. But something will go on, and in order for something to go on, you have to have a makom. In order to have an, the, 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 our need for a makom is represented is represented by. Uh, by the parasha of Truma and Tetzaveh, the parashiyot that enable us to create, to create this makom. Now this makom was built, this makom was built three times, and a fourth time in the offing, right? Remember there's the Mishkan, which is what we call the makom built in the desert, right? It was built in the desert, and it the makom, uh, the makom in the desert was portable. It was a makom that existed only when you built it, when you made it. Before you built it or made it, there was no makom. There was nothing. There was nothing there. After that, there's the bayit rishon. After the bayit rishon, there's the bayit sheni. Right, everybody knows that the Bayit Rishon is the perfect uh, representation of the Makom, but Bayit Sheni was not so perfect. There were things that happened in Bayit Rishon that didn't happen in Bayit Sheni. So that's already three. There's Mishkan, Bayit Rishon, Bayit Sheni, and then the Prophet Yechezkel talks about Bayit Shlishi. Bayit Shlishi. Now, in some regards, all these Batei Mikdash, all these Mikomot 
are similar. They're all similar. They have the same, I mean, this week we're talking about Kalim, so they have the same Kalim in them. The most uh, interesting, to my mind, of the Kalim is the Aron. This is the Aron. So if you look in the Chumash, we haven't got time to go through all these Psukim, but if you look in the in Parashat Truma, the Aron was a box. It was basically a box. It was built out of three boxes. A gold box, a wooden box in the gold box, and then another gold box inside of the wooden box. Does that make sense? Right, so that's, that was the Aron. And it was open at the top. And at the top, on the top, they put another slab, which was fancier and, and, and more well-apportioned than the rest of the Aron, than the rest of the Aron. And that is called Kaporet. That part of the Aron is called a Kaporet. So that it seems to me that it would be fairly straightforward to build it. It wouldn't be a problem to build it. And in the Aron, in the Aron you put a few things. The Aron in the Mishkan. The Aron in the Mishkan you put uh, the Mate of Moshe, right, the staff. You put a little man. And, and that was up to here. It's sort of like uh, we all agree. The mystery... The mystery of the Aron starts from the fact that, the, that it was necessary to put the Torah, the Sefer Torah, not the Luchot. The Luchot were in the, without a doubt, were in the Aron, the Luchot. But there's also the Sefer Torah, which wasn't really built, uh, made until 38 years later. When the Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the entire Torah, when it was finished. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the entire Torah and then gave it out to the tribes and to the Levim and to, to all the people who had to have it. But the Chazal say that there was a Sefer Torah uh, associated with the Aron HaKodesh, with the Aron. Now that Sefer Torah, that Sefer Torah was either put in the Aron or alongside of the Aron. There's a in the Gemara. In the Aron, you took the Sefer Torah, which was like a scroll. Like, uh, it's interesting, in the, in the picture books, there are a lot of picture books for children, especially. They, they should make picture books for adults. You know, but they, they make them for children because uh, children are allowed to look at pictures. And adults are not so allowed. So in the, uh, in the picture books, in the picture books, they depict the Torah as being a scroll rolled up to Atzei Chayim. You know, Eitz Chayim is the wooden thing that holds up the Sefer Torah. You pick it up, pick it up by two Atzei Chayim, and that's what makes it. Uh, that's what makes it possible to pick up, and that's how we. That's how we do it. But in fact, in fact, the. Uh, if you look at the Keter Aram Tzova, the copy of the Tanakh that was found in Aram Tzova and brought eventually to Eretz Israel and exists in the, um, in the Israel Museum 
you know, the, the top of the pot. There's like a part of the museum which is a top pot. You can go into it, but if you stand away, it just looks like the top of a pot. And in that top of the pot, in the uh, top of the pot, they also have the Keter Aratzova, which was smuggled out of, out of uh, Syria and brought to Eretz Israel when uh, after 48, because the Arabs decided to take it out on the, the, the scroll. They wanted to burn it, they did burn it, right? So the Keter Aramtsova was burnt in a synagogue in Aleppo and, and, and disappeared until Ha'azinu. The, the Keter is an entire Tanakh, a whole Tanakh. The reason I'm mentioning it is because it was rolled up on one Eitz And that's probably, I would imagine, that's how Moshe Rabbeinu would do it also. Well, I have two Eitz if you're going to put it in the, in the uh, Kodesh Kadashim and just leave it there forever. So, uh, there's a machloket about the Sefer Torah, which is also important. The machloket is, where was this Sefer Torah? Where is the Sefer Torah? So, one opinion, it was in the in the Arakotis. That means after 38 years, they had to take off the top, the kaporet, and put in the Sefer Torah, and then cover it up again. Right? The other opinion is that there was a shelf that came out of the Aron. Right? Aron is like a box. Right? It has legs, probably. And there was a shelf that came out of the Aron, and on that shelf was the Sefer Torah. So, I say, what... If you say what's in the in the ishuch, in the uh, in the aron, what's in the aron? So you say you have man and you have amaten, you have the luchot, the first luchot, or maybe the second luchot. That's not clear, but you also have you also have a sefer Torah, even though the sefer Torah was not put in until thirty-eight years later, when there was a sefer Torah. There were until that time there was no sefer Torah because. Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah parasha by parasha, meaning section by section. I don't mean the parashiot that we call parashiot today. And that he finished on the day of his death, right? And after 38 years of wandering around in the desert, right? There was the Chet Egel, and the punishment of the Chet Egel was, was wandering around until everybody would die. Everybody, until everybody died. So, that's the one mystery, one mystery about the Aron. The second mystery has to do with the Kruvim. For some reason, not explained anywhere in the Torah, not explained in the Torah, uh, there were Kruvim that were planted on the Aron. They were planted on the Aron. Uh, what are the Kruvim? I mean, we'll, we'll look in a minute and we'll see. What are the Kruvim? There are two answers, right? A short answer. I haven't got a clue. And the long answer is, I can tell you what people say. You know what they say about the Kruvim. So you know in Chazal, the Kruvim had a face of children and the wings of angels and the body of a woman. Sort of, right? You know, all of these things were going on, and they, these these kruvim were planted in the Mishkan, 
they were planted on top of the kaporet. Remember the kaporet? The kaporet was the covering, the top part of the aron. And onto that, in some way, was connected these two kruvim in the Mishkan. When Shlomo HaMelech built the uh, finished building, the, the Mikdash, by Drishon, so he discovered that he had two kruvim that he had built specially for the purpose of sticking it on the, the new Aron Kodesh that he built. And he also had the old ones, the old kruvim from the Mishkan. So what they did was, they put two kruvim, they put two kruvim on the, on the, par, on the kaporet, and two more kruvim stood on the floor. Stood on the floor. Now you know the Chazal were very interested in measurements, and how could it be? This was this log, that was that log. I mean, I'm not going to get involved in that, but it's in the Gemara. The Gemara tries to take his show how you could fit because it was very tight fit. Everything was tight. Because nobody ever went into the Kodesh Kodoshim. There was no reason to have room in the Kodesh Kodoshim. Only the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippurim went in, and that was it. That was it. So you didn't need room in the Kodesh Kodoshim. In the Kodesh, like the outer part of the, or the, yeah, the outer part of the Oel Moed, it was at that time. In Bayat Rishon, it's called Dvir. There's an Ulam and a Dvir and a Heichal. The Heichal is Kodesh Kodoshim. Dvir is the Kodesh. We had the Menorah. And the uh, maybe it would be better if I would bring uh, a videotape or something. But you can't believe the videotape. Everything it says is wrong. But I'll give you an idea. So, so listen again. I have these mysteries. There's a mystery about the Sefer Torah. The mystery about the Sefer Torah. There's a mystery about the Kruvim. Why do I need, uh, why do I need Kruvim? I mean, what do they do? It's true, as we will see, that in the Pasuk, it says, in the Pasuk, it says uh, that uh, somehow, when God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, when God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, right, told Moshe Rabbeinu the next part of the Torah is coming up. It says, even though Moshe Rabbeinu learned the entire Torah in Har Sinai, yes, I mean, he was there 40 days and 40 nights, must have been doing something. So he learned the entire Torah, but he didn't learn the Nusach that was going to be written down, which is the same as the Ramban. The Ramban says that, that Moshe Rabbeinu I'm sorry. <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu received on Har Sinai the Torah Shabal Peh of the Nigle of Torah, of regular Torah, and he also received the Torah Shabal Peh of Nistar, of the hidden Torah. Right? It was Nistar is what we call Kabbalah today. So Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai received both, even though there is no record or no indication that he received the Torah of Kabbalah. Nevertheless, that's what the Ramban says, and, uh, and whoever is into Kabbalah, any religious person who's into Kabbalah believes the Ramban on this, on this point. And there's no evidence. There's no evidence that Moshe Rabbeinu was secretly teaching Kabbalah 
to a select few students. But that's what the Ramban thought. That's what the Ramban thought. He did not think, he the Ramban did not think that Kabbalah was a later invention by people who were very uh, capable and talented, but not something that came from Har Sinai. He believed that Kabbalah came directly from Har Sinai. He says it in his introduction to the Perish Al HaTorah, which is printed in every Mikraot Gedolot till today. Even though most of the people involved in that kind of learning would not are against Kabbalah, right? You know that the, all the great uh, sort of literature, Rabbanim, all the great Litvaks didn't like Kabbalah. They didn't have anything to do with it. They couldn't come out against it, I guess, because they would have been tarred and feathered by the others. But the Groh did, right? The Groh what? He did was what? into Kabbalah. So yeah, he so. was. He was into Kabbalah. And the mystery is his student, Chaim Velozhenar, who probably taught Zohar to a group of students in Volozhin, it just died with him. In Volozhin it died. Hmm. I mean, the, the Vilna Gaon was uh, like a private person. He did what he did, he did what he wanted to do. But Rav Chaim Volozhin was a pu public person. He was also the Rav in Volozhin. He was the Rav of Volozhin, and he was the Rosh Yeshiva of the Yeshiva of Volozhin, and he taught Kabbalah to substitute in his house, I guess, uh, in Volozhin. And in spite of all of that, it just died after he, after he died. There was nothing left of it. And today, the tradition of literature yeshivas doesn't include that. Nobody in literature yeshiva will learn uh, Kabbalah publicly, uh, or nothing, zero. There's no mention of the Kabbalah in the writings of the, of the uh, Chazonish, the Mishtabura. The Mishtabura quotes La Halacha. The Mitzvah does quote. Right, the the, the Mishtabura quotes La Halacha, the Magad Avram. Right. right. Magad Avram is the is the one who redeemed uh, Kabbalistic Halacha, Halacha that you get from Kabbalistic sources, the Magad Avram. But that was it, the end. I mean, he did it. Nobody else is going to come up with new halachot based on Kabbalah. And while it's true that Darshanim might quote something from Kabbalah just to get an extra something to talk about, uh, nobody teaches it. No, nobody in a literature yeshiva teaches the raw material of Kabbalah. So the Chobetz, the, the Chazonish didn't mention Kabbalah. The Chobetz Chaim didn't mention Kabbalah. Rav Chaim Brisker didn't mention Kabbalah. They just had nothing to do with it. They had nothing to do with it at all. And that doesn't mean that they didn't... Who? The Ramban, who was a... The Ramban was a thousand years before. I know, but I'm asking if that's material that they covered. The Ramban would be included. Well, Rabbi Lichtenstein, Zichron Olavrocha, who you know uh, I am very uh, enamored of, um, used to teach uh, the Ramban. He teach the Ramban, and when he got to the Kabbalistic part, he skipped it. So where did Rav Kook get it from then? Rav Kook was a chassid. Well, he was in Volozhin, right? And his Rebbe he said for a year he was in Volozhin when he was an adult. It wasn't, he didn't formulate his uh, ideas in Volozhin. 
He just went to Balaz, it was a place to be. <coughs> he, he learned Daf Yomi. <laughs> 60 Daf Yomi. 60 Daf, 60 Daf a day. Yeah. <laughs> what? 60 Daf a day? No, I think if you could learn 60 Daf a day, you should do it. <laughs> 60 Daf a day? Shouldn't Part of his afternoon I say that you criticized that approach when I was in Yeshiva, of skipping the Kabbalah. What? Shimon Felix criticized that approach. He said, you missed so much. What's that approach? Of, of skipping the, the, uh, the Kabbalah and the Ramban. He said, you missed so much of it. Oh, oh. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, he learned it from somebody. I find it quite astounding that, you know, you have half the Jewish people who think that the Zohar comes from Sinai, and the other half of the things that you shouldn't open it up. It's like pretty astounding. I mean, I understand de facto, it's, it happened, so it's possible. Still, I would not have expected it to happen, especially since the most of the the the, the Edota Mizrach, who are into it, uh, like they're into it loud. They're not into it quiet. You know, they like they they just do it all the time. Uh, but it also gets into it gets into the davening. It gets into, like Brich Shemei. I mean, did anybody ever notice Brich Shemei? I mean, it's. Uh, the uh, the Shulchan says we we sometimes we some places they say it during the week also, but today everybody says it during the week. I mean they they may not say it, but that's only because they're lazy. But uh, but in theory they're saying it. <coughs> so you take the Sefer Torah out of the Aaron Kodesh, so you say something that most Litvaks would not accept. You know, so so you have these mysteries about. This first the mystery of the Sefer Torah, right? The Sefer Torah is either in or out. Somehow, unlike the Luchot, the broken tablets and the tablets that Moshe really brought down from Har Sinai that are in the Aaron Kodesh, the Sefer Torah is a machloket. Is it in or is it on the side? On the side on a on a madaf. A madaf uh, is a shelf. A, a what? Shelf. Shelf. Thank you. Like it's a shelf, and on the shelf you have a, you have a Sefer Torah, which I say should have been pictured only with one Eitzchayim and not with two. But there's another, there there another uh, uh, mystery, and that mystery is what does the what is the point? What is the point of of the Kruvim? Well, what are they supposed to do? So I told you that even though the Pesach says that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu and taught him the Torah during the 38 years in the desert, right, on Har Sinai, the only thing I can understand is that what Moshe Rabbeinu learned on Har Sinai were the mitzvot. Because they are forever. The part of the Torah, which is history, doesn't seem to me to be as forever as the mitzvot. Now when we say that the Torah represents God's thinking. So what do we mean? I mean, where in the Torah is God thinking? So I think that the answer, I think, uh, I imagine that it's mitzvot. Because I, we wouldn't know that you should do a mitzvah unless the Torah told you to do a mitzvah. But if, if something happened and, 
Balak went to Bilam to tell him to curse the Jews. So okay, so that could happen. That could that could uh, that could happen. Would happen. Will happen. But it's not part of God's thinking exactly. Yes, I know it's a problem. Uh, in what? How much was God watching over things, and how much do we have independence? from God watching over things. But even though we, I think admitting that that's a problem doesn't mean I understand it. Today is like a possible, like, you know, people are not into working their brains hard, you know, making their heads sweat. They just want to know the answer. And they don't even care what it is. They just want to know there is an answer. So, one other mystery, one other mystery is what were the Kruvim for? What were they supposed to do? And so even though, I'm starting over again, even though the Pesach says that when God spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu, he spoke me'al ha'kaporet, the voice of God came me'al ha'kaporet, mi'bein ha'kruvim. So that the Kruvim are a location within the location. There's the location of the Mishkan, Mikdash, Bayachani, Bayachlishi, that's a location. You can't live without a location. You need it. And that's why the Gemara says, Mik uh, calls a shul after the Churban Beta Mikdash, Mikdash Ma'at. Why is it called Mikdash Ma'at? It's not a Mikdash Ma'at, there's nothing. It means that in order to properly address yourself to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, you need a Makom. You need a place that is designated for that particular, for that particular purpose. The one last mystery is in the first pasuk of the sheet. First pasuk of the sheet says, "Vayigarish et Adam." Remember that man was exiled from Gan Eden. Man was exiled from Gan Eden. Vayashken mikeden Gan Eden. Et kruvim and vayashkein. Vayashkein means like a word of dwelling. God placed them there. Placed the kruvim, right? Mikeden legan Eden, east of Eden. No, it's not a movie. It's a posuk. Mikeden legan Eden, et kruvim. And you imagine a sword turning around like, you know, it would be a little bit dangerous to try to get past that sword. To protect the way to the Eitz HaChayim, you know, that there should not be access to the Eitz HaChayim. Should not be access. Now this pasuk, I wish I understood it. <coughs> okay, let's look at the at the Rashi. Mikedem legan Eden b'mizrachol shel gan Eden chutz lagan. In 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 other words, it prevented man who had already proven man slash woman who had already proven that they are not going to listen to God's directive that they'll create a trick which will enable them. From eating from Eitzadat, even though Kodesh Bochu said don't eat from the Eitzadat, right? So that means that endangered the Eitzachayim. 
the Eitzachayim. God didn't want them to eat from the Eitzachayim. And the only way to stop it now was not, not asking Adam and Chava to, uh, to take an oath that they won't have anything to do with the Eitzachayim, but to stop them physically, right? And that's Eta Chutz Lagan. I told you one of the one of the ideas associated with with the kruvim are malachim. To prevent, to to frighten him, to frighten Adam Arishon, and say, "Don't go into the into the gun." Targum shelat shanan. The targum, the word in Aramaic for lat, which means sharpness, is shanan. Vuhukemo shelav shininov. Pull out your sharp sword out of the whatever it is. We'll show. Laz, Lav, Umedrashe Agada Yesh, Vani Eniba Elalip Shuto. This is one of the times when Rashi says I could quote many, many Medrashim, but I'm not going to do it because it doesn't really clarify anything. It doesn't tell me what I'm looking for, what I want to know. But in the Pasuk, in this Pasuk, which took place in Gan Eden, and prevented Adam and Chava from going back into the garden, into the gun, and somehow reconnecting to the Eitzachayim, the thing that's preventing them, Kruvim. Kruvim. And so what are Kruvim? According to Rashi, you have to have... I, I think that the fact that Rashi chooses the interpretation of Malachi Chabalah means dangerous... Uh, angels, you know, angels that that will whack you back if necessary. So the Rashi said that in order to connect it to the Kruvim on the Mizbeach, on the on the uh, uh, on the Aron, on the Aron Hakodesh. And there was the the Aron Hakodesh, the uh, the Kruvim were angels. They also looked like angels. So Rashi says these Kruvim were angels. I think he's, what he's saying is that there's a connection between the angels on the Aron, Aron Kodesh, and the angels that kept Adam and Chava out of Gan Eden after they were kicked out. But who says they were angels on the on the Kapara? They just said that. Chazal said that. They said they had the figures of Women and yeah, yeah, and they were also but angels. They were angels. Right. It's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, I think, Sadi Gimel of an olive. Okay. Now, if you look at uh, well, let's look for example, and uh, the next section, the next uh, source in in Truma, Vasita Kaporet Zahavtahor Kaporet, right? But you put on top of the Aron Hakodesh, and then there's a measure. What's Miksha? 
What's Miksha? One Miksha. Piece, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's like um, what do you call that? They put it to a mold. You either put it to a mold or you beat it out of a of a of a glob of metal. But it's not pieces that you that you uh, glue together. It's, yeah, it's like one piece. It starts out as one piece and it remains one piece. But yes, Kruvichad Mikatsav, he said Kruvichad Mikatsav, he said two Kruvim, one on each side. Mina Kaporet Hasuta Kruvim, Al Shnek Tzotav, the two ends of the Kaporet, Viyua Kruvim, Porzeik Nafayim Namala, Sochichim Mikad Fehem Al Kaporet, Ufnehem Ishelachim, El Kaporet, Yubnei Kruvim. There's a lot of detail about the Kruvim. There's, there's, there's detail. So even if this is just uh, like a uh, a formality. The the voice is going to come from a ala kaporet. The Torah could have said that. That would have been sufficient. Why did the Torah have to say that it comes in between the two kruvim? Because me ala kaporet that between the kruvim seems like the same thing. Seems like it's the same thing. So in any event, oh. Okay, let's look at, uh, at this uh, statement of Rav Cook. You know that people who are thoughtful over the generations wondered always about the relationship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the world that was created. Relationship. Like what are the points of relationship that you might consider is like why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu make the world as it is? What what was it so important? So you know, you, you should know. The <coughs> Rachai Vital, who was the outstanding student, <coughs> was the outstanding student, student of, uh, of the Arizal. Rachai uh, Vital wrote down the Arizal. He was the person who wrote it down or wrote it up, depending on how you, what neighborhood you came from when you grew up. So he, Chaim Vital, wrote a book called Eitz Chaim. That's what he calls it. Eitz Chaim is a series of uh, chapters on topics. So, so, the Eitz, so the first question in the Eitz Chaim, the first question, the Eitz Chaim, a book written by Chaim Vital, on the thought of the Arizal, the first question is, why did God create the world? Like, what was missing? That was the, like, the assumption in the question. If God created the world, was it something God wanted? If it's something God wanted, it was something that was missing. So what, possible, what possibly could be missing from the world of God? So Chaim Vital says, according to the Arizal, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had no way of expressing rachamim, mercy. Because there was nothing to be merciful at or upon. Rachamim, Rachamim. It says Rachamim. So, so okay. 
So HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a world and HaKadosh Baruch Hu be merciful. It didn't come right straight away, mercy, right? Mercy really took the center stage after the chait ha'egel, where HaKadosh Baruch does Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem Hashem, Kei That's what HaKadosh Baruch tells Moshe Rabbeinu after the chait ha'egel. In other words, in order to make sure that we understood the importance of the Yud Gimel Midos of Rachamim, right? It didn't come into the world until after the Chet Ha'egel. Until after the Chet Ha'egel. But you could still ask that, even if you would accept that answer, the answer of Chaim Vital to why HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, there's still a question, why did he create a world that was so messy? That was so inelegant. <coughs> They were so prone to disaster. Like take the, the, the period of uh, Noah and the Mabul. The period of Noah and Mabul was, uh, was disastrous. I mean, the whole world came this close to being destroyed because it did not live up to expectation. Well, why didn't it live up to expectation? Why didn't it live up to expectation? What does that mean? What does it mean that, that uh, God wants you to do it one way and we do it a different way? So there's free will, but even free will, there, there are inclinations. This is what, what, what do you say? How come everybody does Averis all the time? You say Yetzahara. So what do you mean Yetzahara? Why can't I control my Yetzahara? And if you say you can't control your Yetzahara, so why is it my fault? What did I do? I didn't do anything bad. I'm the way God made me. So this problem, this problem about who I am and my relationship to goodness, and my relationship to evil, my relationship to the possibility of transmitting, of transferring from one side, from the evil side to the, to the good side, that's like, you know, people thought about this. Today, nobody thinks about that. This is not a topic that anybody's interested in. But in, uh, up to today, up to today, like the, the Hasidut, early Hasidut, and the Balatanya, and the, even the Rambam, Everybody's concerned about this question. Everybody's concerned about, about this question. So Rav Kook, Rav Kook uh, there's a book that's printed in the name of Rav Kook called Orot HaKodesh. Orot HaKodesh is three volumes. Orot HaKodesh is three volumes, and I think it was composed or put together, not composed, put together by the Nazir, David Cohen, Rav David Cohen, the Nazir, Nazar, Nazareth. He, he put it together. Now, what happened? What, how, what do I mean he put it together? Rav Cook used to write things down in notebooks. It, something occurred to him. He wrote it down. Something else occurred, but he didn't write it. He didn't, he didn't leave the material in an orderly fashion. It was just an endless collection of paragraphs. So Rav David Cohn undertook to take that endless collection of paragraphs <coughs> and to put them together in some semblance of order. And that book that he produced, the three volumes that he produced, are called Orot HaKodesh. Right? Orot, as you know, was a, was a light, the lights. It was a big word for Rav Kook. Right? And of course, Kodesh also. So here there are there are two sources. I only wanted one, the first one, but the second one is also good. 
So it says here, Rav Kook says this, Yesh olam shel chova olam shel kodesh. Now, a world of non-kodesh, I don't like, they can't say secular. I don't know whether, uh, there's a world of non-kodesh and a world of kodesh, of sanctity. Olamim shel chova olamim shel kodesh. In fact, there are worlds that are connected to Chol and worlds are connected to Kodesh. Olamim, so dreams said, these worlds contradict each other. And as we live in a world where we can't understand, we can't understand what's happening. Because where you would think there would be Kodesh, there's Chol. We think people would be interested in sanctity. There's only a lack of sanctity, right? Which I guess is a word that Rav Kook knew. Man, in his limited ability to understand. He has no way of bridging the gap between Kodesh. He just looks at it. You see it in the world. You see people. People are trying to do the right thing and people try to do the wrong thing. And there's just no way to bridge that gap. He can't straighten them out. He can't, <coughs> he can't figure out humanity. He can't figure out what is the common force that directs all of us and we can call that humanity. He says, can't. Even though we are confident that Birum Alam in heaven, it works out. It's understood. It's understood in heaven. You know that, that this is uh, many Hasidic thinkers uh, uh, accepted this idea. Except this idea that in some some place in heaven, it's all straightened out, but in our world, we just can't we can't get the hang of it. So, so this is how it is. Adam Arishon and Chava, they ate from the Eitzadat. As a result, they were kicked out of Gan Eden. But that would be the wrong way of looking at it. They weren't kicked out as much as they were prevented from getting back in. Because kicked out could be a temporary measure. But that's not a temporary measure. That's a permanent measure. That's a permanent measure. And what that says is that uh, that man slash woman or Adam and Chava changed the world of creation. If they had just listened to God, they would have joined in producing a world in which accepting the authority of the divine was reasonable, was the reasonable way to be. But since they denied that option, and found themselves outside of Gan Eden where everything was perfect, everything was as it should be. <coughs> everything is as it should be. 
they were not able to regain. They were not able to regain. So this is like a way of saying, look, HaKadosh Baruch created the world properly. HaKadosh Baruch gave us, within the notion of free will, a chance to make that world more positive, more practical, more pragmatic, more reasonable, to make a more reasonable world in which most of the people, most of the time, would do good things. This was denied by Adam and Chava. This was denied by Adam and Chava. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to B'nai Yisrael after receiving the Torah, you've got to prevent this from happening again. And the way to prevent this from happening again, what, is to build a makom. Is to build a makom. Like God Eden was a makom. You're going to make a little God Eden. You're going to make a little God Eden. And in that little God Eden, right, you're going to have, you're going to have things that you don't know about that are, that are not, uh, that will not be, uh, it will not be possible for you to access them. The Aluchot and the Torah are going to be in the Aron or next to the Aron or put into the Kodesh Kodesh, meaning symbolically that there is Torah that you can't access. There's beyond what you know or what you think. And the beyond what you know or what you think is represented by the Aron Kodesh and the inside the Aron Kodesh. We carry that idea around with us all the time. Men put on tefillin. What's tefillin? I mean, it's really something ridiculous. You have parashiyot in the Torah that you never see. You never look at them. You never check them. You only check them to see if they're puzzled. This is the only connection that you have to the parashiyot in your tefillin. The same thing is true about the mezuzah, which is something that everybody is connected to, right? The mezuzah, God, my house, my place. It's not the regular Mikdash, but it's something. Again, what makes it possible for me to access what was going on in Gan Eden is the fact that it's a mystery. And so the Kruvim, the Kruvim that keep us out of Gan Eden, those Kruvim, those Kruvim are the Kruvim that keep us out of the out of the Arona Kodesh. Because when you know, you know, oh, the Kohen Gadol of Moshe Rabbeinu went into the Kodesh Kodoshim just to hear God speaking, but he didn't take the Torah out of the Aron. He didn't uncover the mysteries that were covered up, or whatever was covered up was left covered up. So, uh, we mentioned also the fact that there were four Kruvim in the Beit HaMikdash of, of Shlomo HaMelech, right? You remember that? There were four, four Kruvim. It, it could be that you needed, by the time of Shlomo HaMelech, you needed, you needed more protection. You need more protection against evil. Because the idea of Tubatei Mikdash was an idea that existed in B'nai Yisrael at that time. I mean, I always am of the opinion that if you come up with a crazy idea and it works, and you're able to do it, it's because it's already there somehow. So when, when uh, Shlomo Melch died, the, the country split into two, right? A, no, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, uh, the Beit HaMikdash, was on the border of the two kingdoms, right? Yehuda in the south 
and Ephraim and Asher Bechulei in the north. And so it could have been it could have been the thing that brought everybody together. So the king of the northern kingdom, whose name was Rechavam, right, was Shlomo Melech's son. His name was Rechavam. He decided to create a, a, a further split and built two more mikdashim in the northern part of Israel to compete with Yerushalayim. And, and therefore all the people in the north didn't have a makom. The people in the north didn't have a makom because the makom, the legitimate makom, was the Beit HaMikdash for everybody. But that makom was denied by Rechavah. There was no makom for everybody. Yerava. What? Yerava. I'm sorry. Yerava. Thank you. I'll say it again. Rechavah was Shlomo HaMelech's son, who was the became the king in the southern part of, of Eretz Israel. And in the northern part of Eretz Israel was Yeruvah ben Nevat, who turned out to be a very uh, wicked, a very wicked king. But the point is that he denied the people of the north a unified makom, which was legitimized by history. Moshe Rabbeinu and David HaMelech and before that, the Yaakov Avinu and Abram Avinu, right? They, they, that was the Makom. And instead, what, what he did, Yerava Menavat, was he built two sanctuaries, one in Beitel and one in Dan, in the north, right? In the south of the north and the north of the north. He built, he built these two sanctuaries. And therefore, therefore, the northern people in the north didn't have a place didn't have a makom. Without a makom, they couldn't last. So in history, they disappeared. Remember Sancheriv? So Sancheriv came to capture the northern tribes, exiled them, and they disappeared. Why did they disappear? Because they didn't have, they didn't have this moral fiber that you needed to exist in the diaspora, which enabled you to produce, as we said before, the mikdash ma'at, a place, a makom where people could daven and confront, confront the Kaddish Baruch. So all of that has to do with Kruvim. Oh, not bad. All that has to do with Kruvim. Um, Zeu, have a good Shabbos. Shabbos. Is it possible? So what I understood, maybe I understood it wrong, is what you're saying is that, I'm paraphrasing it, I'm sure, interpreting it, is that the secret to keeping mitzvahs, to, to creating a world where most people most of the time do mitzvahs, must be a recognition that there are secrets, there are things that you do not know and cannot know, and a respect for that. And the Kruvin's job is to tell you, stay out, right? You, you can't know this. These And and, and the thing is, that the, the, the tefillin and the zuzah also there to keep you doing mitzvahs. And so the message of not looking is the same message. I, th- I think that's good. I like that. Right. And then maybe in Shlomo... I don't know if I said it, but, it, but it's okay if you said it. In Shlomo Melech, maybe it's because Shlomo had an extra level of chokhmah that nobody else had, no. that you needed extra protection against thinking that you could go. What was the extra protection? I mean, that well, the second, a pair of, way? second pair of Kruvin. Oh, oh, that... Okay, that's well, good. I, I, mean, I don't know if it's... That's as good as the other part. Uh, well, you said the first part, and I said the second part. So. Well, I said it. Was, <laughs> you summarized it well. But the Kruvim in Gan Eden 
physically kept Adam and Chava away, right? right. But the Kuvim Beit Mikdash, how did they, how would they physically pe- keep people from approaching? Uh, the Sochachim, the Sochachim, they're protecting you, Well, either, yeah, but they're not, either, it's, it's not the No, but Kuvim had a purpose by that time. The fact that there were Kuvim on top of the Iron Kodos was meaningful. It didn't have to physically stop them from going. So it had different. It wasn't the same. In Ganeidin, it was there as a guard, sort of a guarding thing. Stop them! Stop them! And in Bekmikdash, its purpose was again to. No, it's the same. It's the same, except that it worked based on memory. Also, they knew about the Kruvim and the Beit Hamikdash. Okay. And they knew that that's what Kruvim do. It keeps. They keep you away. So the whole, all these things, the Kruvim and the Aaron Kodesh and the Bezuzah and the Tfilin, keep you away from Torah, which means to say that you really can't access it. Okay. It's like too mysterious. And why does it have to be so mysterious? Because, because if, it's not, if it's not that way, you run out of it. You kind of feel you could do... It's not, mystery means that there's something to learn. Okay. It's something you don't know. And if you don't feel that way, then you can just forget about the Torah. Oh, you might get to a point where you feel, oh, I know it all already. Or, or you could know it. Or you could know it. Well, yeah, which is the same. I could know it is also nihilistic. And when you feel you know something completely, you sort of devalue it. Right. But well, I'm saying, even you if wrong. you don't know it, but you think you could know it, so like like wicked kings in Israel, all the stories with oh, kings. Shlomo himself. So right? we spend our lives. Well, Shlomo himself, because remember, he, he, with the whole thing about when he married Bathsheba or whatever, he said, uh, oh, the, the, uh, it says, I know the time for that mitzvah and it doesn't apply to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we spend our lives trying the to. The Rabbim says that also. So we spend our lives trying to get to know Torah as much as we can, or, 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 even though we understand that we, by, by, by its very nature, we never will. Yes, but we'll understand more than we understand today. If you sit and learn, you'll always understand more. You'll always be impressed by the wonder of it. So that's, and that's what keeps it going. Very nice. Thank you. Is it, is it almost a kind of tikkun for the sin of Adam and Chava? Say again. Is it a form of, I don't know if it's the best word to use, but a tikkun for the sin of Adam and Chava that we have continually, not just the example of the Kruvim, but something like Tzvilin, something like Muzuzah, to make sure we would never fall into, into that trap ourselves again. Yeah, okay, good.